You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I learned something from our listeners on our Facebook group the other day. There was a post from Lisa Weingart who was talking about how she was helping her fourth grade daughter editing her homework. And she said that her daughter's very clever teacher assigns a page of reading on a social studies topic, and then they have a list of questions regarding grammatical errors, asking how to combine two shorter sentences in a compound sentence. Sentence, All right. That kind of thing. And so her daughter looks up to her and says, is Orr a fanboy? Oh. And Lisa says, what's a fanboy? And her daughter says, uh, fanboy is it's a word like and. And her mom says, well, no, I think you're talking about a conjunction. And her daughter says, no, 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 it's a fanboy. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And... Um, I didn't know what it was. Uh, Lisa was asking for help to see what a fanboy was. Did people know? Well, I would say probably right now half of our listeners are shouting at the radio, you don't know what a fanboy is? And half of them are like me going, what is what is a fanboy when you're talking about grammar? Because, of course, <laughs> you and I know a fanboy to be uh, somebody who's really devoted to something, yeah, right? Yeah, diehard. Like, yeah. No matter what, they're always loyal. Yeah. Yeah, but it turns out that uh, Lisa's daughter was learning in school that fanboys is an acronym for all the conjunctions in the English language, the seven conjunctions for, and, nor, but, or, yet, and so. Fanboys. Fanboys, right. Yeah, and so they were having this discussion, and her daughter was trying to explain it to her, and Lisa said that eventually her daughter ran to her room, grabbed some pom-poms, and did the fanboy cheer she learned in school. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I do want to hear it. (laughs) Fanboys, fanboys are the glue between sentence one and sentence two. (laughs) (laughs) You have to picture me with pom-poms. Sure, yeah. Fanboys, fanboys. Flirty skirt, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Flirty skirt. But what was so funny was that that I would say fully half of us on the Facebook group didn't know. I've never heard that. Isn't that mnemonic crazy? Device. No, I never have heard that mnemonic. But then all these other people were saying, of course, fanboys. Yeah. <laughs> Different teaching cultures, yeah. maybe, right? We yeah. are a very large country. There are many <laughs> ways to do this. We'd love for you to share your favorite mnemonic with us or tell us your stories about language. 877-929-9673 or Send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hello. Hello. Who's this? My name is Robbie. I'm calling from Huntsville, Alabama. Hey, Robbie. Welcome to the show. What can we help you with? Well, yeah, I was always curious about my mom, um, the sayings, and uh, there was one in particular that she would always say uh, whenever someone was being, you know, particularly uh, abrasive or mean-spirited or mm-hmm. defiant or, you know, uh, stubborn, mm-hmm. she would always say she's got her habits on. And I always thought, what what does that mean? And I always thought it meant like a, a, a nun putting her garments on or putting her, <laughs> you know, clothing on. I did. That, that was my first thought. You know, she's got her habits on. So I would think about a nun putting her habits on. But whenever she said, whenever she said it, it was always when someone was being mean or, um, you know, particularly nasty or, or antagonistic. So I knew it couldn't be anything to do with the nun. Um, so, and I just, and my mother is uh, 90 years old this year, so Aww. I thought it was something they might, yes. And I thought it might have been something that they used to say back in the day or, okay. you know, something. And I was just always curious, or did anyone else say it, or was it a, just a saying of hers, or was it a, a you know, a common 
saying. Yeah, your guess that it doesn't have anything to do with nuns is probably spot on. There's almost no chance it has a thing to do with nuns, even though the word habits is in there. It's just a different kind of habit. It's more about a thing that you always do, that kind of habit, not a thing that you wear. Okay. Really interesting thing is that it does tend to appear mainly from African-American speakers in this country, particularly in the American South, and it comes up in a ton of blues songs. Um, oh, oh, yeah, as far back as the 1930s, Lucille Bogan, who, by the way, is has some very uh, naughty lyrics, if you Google her, but this is not naughty. She's got one line that's something like, bring me another two-bit pint because I got my habits on. I'm going to oh, wreck wow. this giant. <laughs> yeah. and, and you said her name was Lucy what? Bogan. B-O-G-A-N. Okay. And you'll find it in Langston Hughes. There's a, a story that he wrote in 1950 that he uses it. And Zora Neale Hurston uses it in some of her writing as well. Um, and I can find older uses of it back to at least the 1898. I'm sure it's older than that, but sometimes it's hard to really get to the ultimate origin of something. But again, almost always African-American speakers. It is. Yeah, I, I, that is so great. I'm, that's so cool. It, it brought a smile to my face. You know, the African-American um, heritage. Great tradition. Yeah, a yeah. community of people who have the shared language, even if they don't know that they share it, right? Yeah, th- it, it's very cool. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, uh, for you know, investigating that for me. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure. You'll also find it in the lyrics of Bessie Smith, too. So if she's a blues oh. fan, maybe that, Bessie was more popular than Lucille Bogan. So maybe maybe that's more likely where she heard it at least once. Okay. She'll love to hear that here, you know, because she used to say it all the time. So that's great. Oh, that's well, great. Well, thank you so much. That really uh, brightened my day and brought a smile to my face. Thank you so much. Robbie, you did the same thing for us. Thank you so much for calling. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Take okay. Now. Take Bye-bye. care. Thank you. So habits. Habits, yeah. So if you have your habits on, it means that you're angry or aggressive or aggro mm-hmm. or something like that. Although occasionally you can modify to have your habits on. You might say uh, there is a, a Bessie Smith lyric that is something like having her wanting habits on, meaning she has sexual desire. Mm. So you can so you can kind of change it up a little bit. It's always like you're kind of reverting to your true self or the, the true character of you or like this mm-hmm. basic, um, really simple part of you. Bring us your linguistic heirlooms, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, I have a list of descriptions for you. These are from the journals of Henry David Thoreau, and I wonder if you can guess what he's describing. Okay. He's describing the same type of thing, but he's using all these different ways to describe this type of thing. Okay, let's hear it. An old citizen of the town, an athlete that shows its well-developed muscles, a vast Corinthian column, a fair flaxen-haired sister with golden ringlets, a great green feather stuck in the ground, a harp upon which the wind makes music. These are all examples from his journals of some particular type of thing that he described. It's a tree. Yes. Is it a willow? Any kind of tree. Any kind of tree. Okay. What gave it away? The column, actually, was the closest one. The Corinthian column? Yeah. Oh, you got it. Three examples in. That's cool. He had a great deal of love for nature, right? Yes, he did. He had all kinds of terms for trees. Handsome and cool and bosky. Bosky, that's a great word. Yes, Related to French words for forest. Right, and related to our word oboe, actually. Um, A match found for me at last. I like that. Who describes a tree that way? Share your tidbits that you picked up from your reading. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. 
Welcome to Away With Words. Hi, my name's Michelle, and I'm calling from Fort Worth, Texas. What's going on, Michelle? Hi, Michelle. Welcome. So I actually had a question. Um, I have this phrase that I've been saying for years, and you know, I think I read it somewhere, but I honestly don't have any idea. Um, so... You know, a lot of times when, you know, people are kind of, you know, getting to know you and prying into your past and ask, you know, if you're single or not, of course. And then one of the things that I've always kind of said is in response is, you know, no, I'm I'm single as a jaybird. And I've actually had a couple of people uh, actually ask me recently where that came from. And I have no idea. It's always been something that I kind of said. And so when you say single as a jaybird... What do you mean exactly? I mean, is that more single than single? Single is it? Is it a particular kind of single? Are <laughs> um, you, know, you really single digging by it? nature? I think single by nature and rather relaxed and comfortable about it. I think is the Got vibe. It. Okay. 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 And jaybird usually refers to the blue jay, which is not a flocking species, right? The jaybird isn't hmm. a species yeah. that tends to amass in large numbers and fly around together in these murmurations or anything like that, right? So they are single, singletons, so to speak. More interesting to me is what I think has happened here is that you have joined a f- fairly large number of people who have taken the old expression naked as a jaybird and just separated out the as a jaybird part and turned it into a form of emphasis or kind of a simile of emphasis. We used to have this expression in English, um, naked as a robin. But somewhere along the way, it switched to naked as a jaybird, even though we don't typically call the birds jaybirds. And one theory is that bird used to just mean the chick, not actually the whole actually adult bird. And another part of that mm-hmm. is possibly jays, I believe, are born featherless. And they're very, um, you know, their skin is obviously showing. They don't have feathers. So if you're naked as a jaybird, you're this little pale pink thing. Um, but in any case, so you can find now, if you look it up, you'll find people who have put um, things like crazy as a jaybird, mean as a jaybird, sober as a jaybird, happy as a jaybird, um, antic as a jaybird, quite a few of these. And so that as a jaybird now is just mainly used for emphasis. And I think that sounds like what you're doing there. Do you use the term huh. naked as a jaybird, Michelle? No, I actually have never heard that part. Um, oh, I probably really? just absorbed really? it from someone else at some point. Oh, really? That's interesting because naked as a jaybird is really common. Yeah, I would think that would mm-hmm. be the oldest one. Uh, and then all these yeah. others yeah, that's right. spun off from it? It's the oldest of the as a jaybird forms, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, Naked as a Robin came before Naked as a Jaybird. Interesting. So what do you wow. think about that, Michelle? Do you think there's a possibility that it's just a borrowed bit of emphasis you're using there? Yeah. Um, you know, I had a bad habit as a kid. I, well, I guess a good bad habit. I would just read all the time. And so a lot of times I would just absorb things from context clues. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd read them, but I would never hear anybody say them. And so sometimes I would absorb the context clues incorrectly and, uh-huh. you know, not realize that I was kind of off on the definition. So I might have just kind of absorbed it somewhere and then permutated it in my mind. So possibly. Oh, well, we'll own I- it. I mean, I'm no bird expert, but the habits of the jay have them frequently being uh, so low or at least not appearing in large numbers. And it sounds like what mm-hmm. Grant is saying that is that you're not the only one. Who uses uh, it single that as way. a jaybird is not very common, but the as a jaybird being added on to some other adjective mm. is very common. Happy okay. is a jaybird, or saucy is a jaybird was one I found that I really liked. Saucy is a jaybird. <laughs> cool. Yeah, very cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Thanks Thank for you, reaching Michelle. out. Really appreciate it. Bye. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. 
Since the 16th century, the word neophyte has meant a new convert uh, to a religion. It comes from Greek and Latin roots that mean new and plant originally. And now a neophyte is somebody who's just new at something. And I thought about this the other day because I was in a group chat online where a friend was talking about a difficulty that he was having with technology. And he said, oh, oh, I can't, I can't work that out. I'm a technophyte. Oh. And I just thought that was funny, right? Because Does he, that work? Fight is a suffix to techno like that? Technically, it doesn't. But it did. I mean, we all understood so exactly he what newbie. he meant. Yeah, he meant a or newbie. Noob. Yeah. Yeah. But he said, I'm a technophyte. And it didn't catch any of us. We were all thinking, oh, well, he's having trouble with technology. It's a misunderstanding of that term. But I Googled it, and it sure seems like a lot of people are actually making that same mistake. Not a whole lot of people. But they took the wrong part of the word neophyte. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm a technophyte. I mean, it sort of makes sense. mm -hmm, They misborrowed. Yeah, a misunderstanding. But a technophyte. I I do like that as a word for somebody who's, who's having trouble with technology. 877-929-9673, words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And on the line is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hey, John. What's up? Last Saturday, someone who listens to our Away With Words podcast came to uh, my pub trivia at One Star in Manhattan. And uh, one of our regular teams overheard him say to his friends, he sounds so much younger on the radio. But it did make me think about age, A-G-E. For example, I was measuring the size of my office when I thought, how old do you have to be to study podiatry? That's because footage is basically foot and age. age. Oh, okay. Yeah. To make it interesting, I avoided words like Uh, leakage, which just means the amount of leak. So uh, if you remove age, you'll get something hopefully unrelated. Each clue begins with a clue for the whole word and then a clue for the fake age, okay? Okay. Okay. I was overseeing the staff at a local restaurant when I thought, when is a boy considered to be an adult? Teenage. Teenage. No, that's not right. That's (laughs) actually age. Um, Restaurant. Um, Ruffage. No, um... What does someone who oversees Minimum the staff? Minimum wage. What someone who oversees the staff? Minimum what? What do they do? Manage. Who... M- manage. Okay. There you go. Yes. Got it, got it, got it. Of course, you can be a bar mitzvah at 13. So there you go. That answers my question. I was researching my family tree when I thought, how old do you have to be to connect point A to point B? Family tree. Uh, lineage. Lineage, yep. Lineage. lineage, yes. Well, you can learn geometry at age five. I was inspecting my car after a fender bender when I thought, how long do the constructions made by beavers usually last? <laughs> Damage. <laughs> Damage. Damage. You know how I like to come up with new words? Well, I was doing just that when I thought, how old do you have to be to be a numismatist? <laughs> coin age. <laughs> the coin age, yeah. Any age is fine for that. I was taking care of my daughter's boo-boo when I thought, how long have the Rolling Stones been together? (laughs) Band-Aid. The Band-Aid. I was taking out the trash when I thought, how long will my new suit last? (laughs) Garb-Age. That's my garb-Age, yeah. Similarly, I was riding in an equestrian competition when I thought, how long should you keep an evening gown? (laughs) Dress-Age. The dress-Age, yes. Dressage. I was 
ransacking a village on World of Warcraft when I thought, should I throw out my old Dramamine? That's not village. Oh, I was going to say uh, Rampage, but no. um, my old Dramamine. Um, ransacking a pill village. Pill Age. Pill Age. Yes, nice. the Pill Age. <laughs> I was decorating my hat with brilliant feathers when I thought, are those prunes in my fridge still good? Plum age. Plum age. Plum age. Yes. Oh, well, we have to do this one. I was cleaning out my septic tank when I thought, is my son old enough to replace a lost button on his coat? So age. So age, yes. Teach him that very, very soon. I was getting a back rub at the mall when I thought, how old was I when I held my first communion? Mass age. yes. I think it was eight, I think. I was delivering a singing telegram when I thought, how old do you have to be to be a cook in the army? Delivering singing telegram. Cook yeah. in the age. army. Mess, uh, yes, the go. message. Very good. John, you have been an agent of hilarity here. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> this show is about more than just goofing off with a quiz. It's about words and language and... Language. Language. 877-929-9673. <laughs> Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Julia calling from San Diego, California. How are you? Hey, Julia, Doing what's up? Well. So my question, um, the situation I'm in is I'm currently studying for the GRE, and I find myself disproportionately struggling with learning all the vocab. There's math, I'm able to soak that in. Um, but when it comes to learning a bunch of new words a day that I've never come across, it's a lot harder than you'd think. Well, maybe not for you guys, but for me, it's harder than I found or that I'd want it to be. So I was hoping you guys could offer some suggestions on learning a lot of new, obscure vocabulary in a relatively short amount of time. Oh, wow. Julia, what are you planning to study in grad school? I'm hoping to get into physician assistant school. Oh, okay. Oh, tons All of new right. vocabulary there. Yeah, though. really. And a so lot how, of vocabulary we don't know. <laughs> how many words a day are you trying to learn? Um, so at least what I've seen online for suggested study schedules, they all recommend around 10 at least new words a day. And how much time do you have until you take the GRE? A month from now. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And so what are you doing? Yeah, what right are you now? doing to try to learn the vocabulary? Currently, I'm spending every free second of my day, which, I mean, I work and do other things, but a couple hours a day um, doing online practice questions. I paid a couple hundred bucks for an online program that kind of walks me through how to study and what to study. And then for the vocab, I've even got apps on my phone that do little flashcards. And if I come across a word I don't know, like while watching the news, I'll look it up, try to look up sentences with, with that word. But even then, three weeks later, if I'm taking a practice test and the word comes up, it doesn't mean I know how to use it in a sentence and right. in context uh -huh. just because I saw a flashcard. Uh -huh. you know? Are you looking up the etymologies of the words as well? Where they come from, the origins? Or at least their component parts? Um, sometimes, but no, I haven't been doing that for every word. Yeah, I find that that helps me to learn words if I know the roots of the words. You mm -hmm. know, it'll take extra time to look them up in the dictionary, but I, I'm thinking about, for example, the medical term fulguration, F-U-L-G-U-R-A-T-I-O-N, which means cauterization. But if you know that it comes from the Latin word for lightning, it's easier to remember. You know, they're, they're mm. little 
little word pictures inside of um, etymologies and word origins like that. So they, they help me remember. The other thing I'm wondering is, I don't know, this is kind of a silly suggestion, but when I was in high school, I set my geometry book to music. <laughs> so that I could memorize the theorems, you know, and I'm, I, you know, like the product of the hypotenuse is equal to the product of the legs. I, I had a whole song about that, and I'm just, you know, I mean, how did you learn the alphabet? You learned mm, it by singing song, it, yeah. and I, I'm just wondering if if you can combine some other sense with it, mm-hmm. like yeah. I don't know, singing the words. Interesting, yeah. Well, and that would, I mean, my job is I'm a nanny, and so a lot of times when I'm taking this girl out on walks with the dog. I'll just talk to myself and kind of say, you know, the word and then the definition. And, Uh you know, she doesn't know what I'm saying. She's one years old. But, hey, just me talking, you know, she enjoys that. So, hey, why don't I put it in song form? I'm sure she'd love that. Yeah, that kind of self-talk really helps. That's what they call it in the memorization business, self-talk, where you just run around like a... Like, you know, you got to screw loose just talking to yourself and saying nonsense. <laughs> yeah, what sounds like nonsense much. to other people. Yeah, Another, yeah, but you engage another part of your brain by singing it. A similar kind of self-talk I've heard about is where you record yourself, which is much easier in the cell phone era, and then you just play mm. it back at other times when you can't have the materials in front of your eyes, like when you're driving or doing chores, that sort of thing. Mm, that's a good mm-hmm. idea. Only you guys would suggest that. You know that most <laughs> people don't like hearing their voice Played back yeah, but, on recording. But it's <laughs> just in radio. It's just between you and you, right? Nobody else is judging exactly, it. It's yeah. just the two of you, you and your old self, right? Um, this is but a, that is a good suggestion. This, yeah. This kind of memorization has been a, a struggle for students as far back as the written record goes, trying to cram it all in. Ooh. There are many, many strategies. It sounds like you're doing the best that you can given the time and resources available to you. There are no magic tricks for for memorizing this stuff. The only thing I would say to other people who may anticipate graduate school many years from now is to start reading mm-hmm. higher level text now long before they have to get to the exam. So start reading things like, say, The Economist or um, slightly more advanced magazines or periodicals so that some of this vocabulary will have been acquired naturally without a great deal of struggle long before you need it. Well, I would suggest if you're starting 10 years ago to take Latin because (laughs) that will show you so many components of the words, and particularly if you're going into the medical field. Yeah. So you have a month to take (laughs) Latin. Can you master Latin in a month? (laughs) Probably won't end up taking Latin. But I think the way they do the GRE is they don't necessarily want you to have memorized every word in the English language, but... You know, I can imagine the test takers would want you to be able to deduce what the word means based on yeah. its, you know, Latin or Greek roots. Yeah, Julia, I know it would be time consuming, but but I would really suggest looking the words up in the American Heritage Dictionary, which has really great etymologies. And you might be able to associate those words with pictures or stories or something like that if if you do, if you know the component parts of the words. And they often yeah. have sample sentences, which can put them in a greater context. Yeah. So good luck. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you guys for your help. All right. Take sure care thing. now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello there. This is Alan from Rupert, Vermont. Alan, what's on your mind? You got a language question Alan for us? Alan from Rupert. I do. I'm a big six-foot-something kind of a guy, and quite often my wife will call me a big galooly. And I've always considered it a term of endearment because she calls me other things when she's mad at me. <laughs> but, you know, we got to wondering where that word came from. So we, we went to the Internet, of course, and... Uh, the Urban Dictionary came up with a 
the husband of a certain Olympic figure skater right back oh. in the late 80s i think <laughs> it was yeah and meaning a term like to sabotage uh-huh. so that's tanya harding's husband at the time exactly. what was his name yeah. jeff jeff galuli and they jeff tried Galooly. to hurt nancy kerrigan they did hurt nancy, they hurt yeah. nancy kerrigan they bashed yeah. her knee it's been a while since i read that <laughs> story it's a horrible and story. We, we just weren't satisfied with that it's like that no you know it was something i know i've heard you know, before that, as a kid, it's you something did. that my wife had heard her mother say. Oh. You know, uh, Galuli doesn't so. come up in any dictionary that I I can check here. It, it really doesn't. My best huh. guess is it comes from the word galoot. Do you that's know, what I was thinking. Do you know thinking. big galoot? Big galoot. Yeah, that's no. far more common and widespread. It's an Americanism that even now has bled over a little bit into the United Kingdom. But it's a several hundred year old word that basically is exactly the same. It's kind of a big, clumsy, awkward, yeah, um, yeah, kind of a big galoot. Yeah, yeah. right. Kind of. I mean, shambling. that's the way I've always understood it. When she yeah. says it, usually I'm doing something goofy or. It's about your size, right? It's about yeah. your stature, and sometimes about it's not kind of your behavior, right? That you're not nimble, and maybe it also reflects on your lack of nimble movements. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Right. Galoot. Yeah. yeah, and we don't know the origin of galoot. It's, it's no, unknown. It, there's there's some theories on it. It's at, at least originally it meant a marine or a soldier, and it's possibly some similar terms in Dutch and some other Germanic languages. Mm. Really? So it doesn't really have any like no. goofy, clumsy. But I don't. Well, it see, sort of sounds like. I it. don't see big galooly anywhere. On, I see one use set of it on the internet, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was your wife. But I. It's <laughs> 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 from like 2011. But I, yeah. it really is not out there at all. Galooly, and I tried nine different spellings. So. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Best yeah. I, I mean, I, we were having the same problem, but galoot. Yeah, you got to do that like minus Harding when you right. search for the term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, big galoot. Alan, though, the cool thing about this show is with hundreds of thousands of listeners, we've got a whole bunch of field workers who, if they've heard of it, they will tell us. Yes, there's awesome. a whole galoot contingent out there. <laughs> yeah. The big galoot and the ring us up much. and let us know. Uh, excellent. And, and we'll let you know if we hear, all right? All right. Thank well, you. Stay tuned. Take care. Bye-bye, Alan. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Talk to us. It's a show about more than word origins. It's a show about all of language. Words at waywardradio.org or 877-929-9673. I came across this expression from Appalachia that I really like. If you're talking about something that's that's spread out like a great expanse of space, Mm -hmm. you can describe it as spread out like a week's washing. Yeah, sure. Or but washing, I guess. Spread washing. out like a week's, week's washing. You spread it out to get some sun and help bleach it a little bit, right? Exactly. Or spread out like a week's worth of wash. I mm. like that. It's a nice one. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey. Hey, who's this? Um, my name's Helen. I'm calling from Indianapolis. Hey, hey. Helen. Welcome to the show. Hey, Helen. Thanks. What is up? Hi. I grew up in southeast Kansas. Okay. And... Um, I just, this came to mind a few weeks ago because I was talking to my sister about it. So when we grew up, we lived on a gravel road, but um, we always called it chat. And I just assumed everybody, that was just like another general term for gravel. And it wasn't until I said it in college and people looked at me like I had two heads. And I realized that was something unique to where I was from. So I just wonder about about this word. Are we the only 
place that used it to mean gravel, or were there other places? I think it's like a mining term, mm-hmm. um, and and there were a lot of mines from that part of Kansas, um, you know, Galena mines and coal mines, and um, so I mean, that's my question: where's where does this term come from? Why do we use it to mean gravel, and are we the only ones who use it to mean gravel? So, chat C H A T. I guess you know, it's not something I don't think I ever have seen it spelled. It's just something that we said. Okay, so the stuff on the road, the gravelly stuff you call yeah. chat and or gravel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. and did you call it a chat road then? Yeah, like we we lived on a chat road. Okay. Interesting. Did yeah. it look like regular the, gravel yeah. or was there something special about it? Did it look like like mine refuse or anything like that? Well, see, this is another I wonder, you know, did did we just like buy the the refuse from the mine to um cover our roads? I don't think so. It just looked like regular rocks to me, okay. but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Kind of uniform in size and color would probably mean it was like just regular old gravel, right? I think so. It just looked like little bitty rocks. And, you know, every so often the road grader would come and dump a bunch of it and then, you know, kind of grade it off to the side of the road. Okay. And you said this was in southeastern Kansas, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? It's regional enough that the Dictionary of American Regional English has a whole entry on the word chat. Oh. Yes, and it's pretty much localized right smack dab in the middle of the country, Missouri and Kansas. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, as you said, it's the gravelly tailing from mines often used to surface roads. It looks like it might come from an English dialect term that uh, means a piece of stone that's blended with lead ore or yeah, something there, like that. Yeah, there are a variety of terms in English dialects you'll find across the whole slew of 1800s dictionaries or glossaries that have something to do with gravel mm-hmm. or rocks or stones or little pieces of um, organic matter on the ground are sometimes called mm-hmm. chat. Or chert. Or, or chert, yeah. Chert. Or chit. Or chit. There's mm-hmm. a, chert is a particular kind of stone, though. Um, huh. But there are a variety of spellings and pronunciations. They're all very similar with that C-H and that T. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. It's like the only word I used growing up that seemed um, like nobody understood what it meant. So. Oh, hang on to those. Mm, those are those, yeah, are, yeah. those yeah. are precious, though, aren't they? The ones that belong to you and your experience. Uh, keep that as long as you can. We don't use it very often anymore. Like, I just kind of, once I discovered that gravel is what everybody used, I stopped <laughs> saying chat. But that's why it was so much fun when I was visiting my sister a couple of weeks ago, and we started talking about that word and how, you know, we kind of feel unique in all the world because nobody else we know says it. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, if you go to that part of the country, you'll you'll hear other people say it for sure. But yeah. uh, that's right. But otherwise, have to go visit. yeah. Otherwise, you do look like you have two heads, right? <laughs> <laughs> Helen, people look at you that Helen, way. Helen, before you go, can I ask you one more question? Have you ever heard of sure. chat potatoes? Chat potatoes. Yeah. So these, no, are those are those just tiny potatoes? That's right, mm-hmm. small potatoes that kind of yeah. look like uh, about the size of gravel, I guess. Yeah, the washouts. Ah, uh, no. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I'm going to ask around with family to see if that's something that I just missed. It's possible. It's not that common anymore, but you will find it in old recipe books. Oh, this is so cool! Thank you, <laughs> Helen. It's been a delight. If you come across anything else from either your new location or your old, give us a call. All right. Thanks so much. Our pleasure. Right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. I'm I'm doing my best to resist saying call us to chat. Ha-ha. Yeah, it didn't work. They're etymologically unrelated, by the way. <laughs> they certainly chat, are. Chat gravel and chat yeah. speak are unrelated. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We were talking. 
talking at the top of the show about uh, mnemonic devices, mm-hmm. and I love the German word for a mnemonic device. It's Eselsbuka, which means a donkey bridge. And the idea apparently is that, according to folklore tradition, uh, a donkey won't go across a creek unless it's got a bridge. I see. So they won't f- just ford a stream by going into the water. Right. Gotcha. Right. And so it's it's sort of a, a, a donkey bridge, literally, in German, is something that, that helps you remember something. Makes it easier. Lays out the path for you. Lays out the path mm, for you. Interesting. Exactly. 877-929-9673. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Every once in a while, I like to share on the show the books that my son is reading at home or the books that we're reading to him. And there's two that I had in mind today. One is Full of Beans by Jennifer Holm, and the other one is the graphic novel series The Lumberjanes, or just Lumberjanes. Lumberjanes is really interesting. Do you know Lumberjanes? No, but it sounds like something I would have enjoyed as as a kid. Uh, flannel shirts and uh, jeans right. out in the woods or something? Kind of the gender parallel to lumberjacks, right? Uh-huh. So it's okay. these young women. Uh, I believe they're all kind of camp age because they're going to camp in the woods and they have these supernatural adventures and animals are involved and strange things happen and it's really funny and stuff. And uh, my son loves these books. I think he owns all seven of them now because he's read them again and again. And one of the things I like about them is they just throw out these names of famous women. And my son always like pops up out of his book and says, who's that? I'm like, well, look it up. And so he's kind of getting this like secondary education on top of laughing at whatever whatever gags are happening in the, in the strip. Some of it's a little serious, but most of it's kind of goofball-y. Nice. Lumberjanes. And that's by Shannon Waters, Grace Ellis, Brooke Allen, and Noel Stevenson. And then the other thing that he's reading, he's now read this three times, is Full of Beans by Jennifer Holm. Full of Beans is about a boy named Beans set in the 1930s in Key West during the Depression. This is when Key West is coming up and being developed as a tourist resort. And so there's all these notions of change. There's ideas of the Cuban influence there. Cuban food comes up and Cuban language comes up. And there's like a real historical kind of quantity to it where I actually feel like he's learning true history, at least from the period and the place, and not wholly invented history like a lot of uh, maybe the more um, extraordinary or fantastical children's works do. And so he's learning like slang from the 30s. Oh, and he's, nice. he's learning a little bit about Cuban culture. He wants to eat the Cuban food now, uh-huh. now that he's had it described. And I really think this Full of Beans book is a, a book that anybody who's 10, which is how old my son is, can really enjoy and reread again and again and get a little more out of it each time. Interesting. So it wasn't published in the 30s. No, right? no, it's but a, it's about the yeah. 30s. So historical Super fiction published huh. now, uh, looking back to the 1930s. Really, really cool stuff. Okay, so full of beans and lumberjanes. Yeah. Okay, great. We talk about all aspects of language on this show, so give us a call about it. 877-929-9673 or send your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Ron. Calling you from uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama. Okay. Fort Lucker? Fort Rucker? Fort Rucker with an R. Okay, gotcha. Tell us about Fort Rucker. Oh, it's the home of Army Aviation. Okay. Interesting. Okay. If you want to be a a pilot and fly helicopters, this is where you come. And you fly? Are you part of that? No, actually, I'm a a chaplain here, so I I provide uh, support to uh, the soldiers and the instructors here. Oh, cool. Outstanding. What can we help you with? Well, I have a question, and it's a particular Army uh, term, and the word is uh, zonk. Z-O-N-K, zonk? Z-O-N-K, yes. Okay, how do you use that? Yeah, you got to tell us about that. 
So we start very early in the morning, of course, in the Army with physical training. And it's Monday through Friday. And so if you can imagine being uh, doing physical training Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. And normally a zonk would happen on, say, Friday morning. And so it's dark and it's raining. And you're standing in formation waiting for Reveille. And you salute the flag. Oftentimes it's the first sergeant who's the senior NCO at the front of the formation. And then he says, zonk. And everybody takes off in a mad dash in different directions, some back to the cars, some back to the the barracks. And the new soldiers don't know what's going on. And so if the first sergeant catches them, then they have to continue and conduct physical training. <laughs> so all of their peers have taken off because they know what's up. But a couple of poor right. souls, they get what they get literally grabbed by the first sergeant and made to stay. Yes, because they're they don't know what's going on. If you could imagine, you know, everybody running off a mad dash in different directions. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I've seen reference of this on some of the military discussion forums back to the 1970s, but it's a big fat origin unknown mostly. Although it's funny when you read the old dis- the discussion forums, the the old timers, you know, the, the the guys from like the Korean War, they're like, "What do you mean you didn't have to do PT? That's not right. That's not the <laughs> army I know." <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of videos on YouTube of that, by the way. If you want to, if people want to see exactly oh, what a really? zonk looks like, yeah. So okay. it's a thing. It's a thing, yeah. Okay. And, like the one I saw was like very dark. Like uh, some officer of some kind was standing up on a platform and talking in a microphone, just kind of blah blah blah. And then he just shouts zonk in his loudest voice, <laughs> and you should see the crowd just like they burst out, no formation. They're running in all directions. <laughs> it's it's madness. Oh wow. <laughs> So it's sort of a kind of hazing for the people who aren't in the know, yeah. and it's a bonding experience for the other ones, yeah. right? Sure. Well, I, I guess it could be. You know, do they necessarily have to continue conducting physical training? You know, maybe not. Uh-huh. You know, maybe the the first sergeant gives them a break. I was kind of thinking that maybe it might be an acronym, you know, because we have a lot of acronyms in the Army. But I really couldn't come up with something that mm. starts with a Z. <laughs> Yeah, Zero. it's probably not an acronym. Uh, but more than likely, it comes from the word zonk. Uh, we know it mostly today is to zonk out, which just means to go heavily to sleep. But um, it's had a variety of meanings over the years uh, since it first kind of came on the scene in the 1950s and 1960s to mean high on drugs or drunk on alcohol, da-da-da-da. But more than likely, it just means that you get to go back to zonk yourself out. You go back to your barracks and and catch a little more shut-eye. Uh, it's probably that oh, right. probably yeah. really simple explanation like that. Great. Well, I sure appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Really appreciate it. You call us again sometime, all right, with some more Army stuff. I'd love to yeah, hear it. Yeah, we love this stuff, Ron. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. There's all kind of stuff. <laughs> all right, take care now. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Okay, Bye-bye. thanks, Ron. Bye-bye. Bye. Yep, bye now. We want to hear your stories from the military. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send those language stories to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, you may remember this after we gave a talk last week. A woman 
came up to you, a woman mm-hmm. named Shelly came up to you and was asking about the term uh, for what you feel like when you get off a plane or you get off a boat yeah. and you're mm-hmm. still feeling the sense of motion. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and she wanted a word for that and you had a term for it. Uh, land sickness is what uh-huh. I learned when I lived in the Caribbean. You know another term for it? Well, I did some digging. There is something uh, that uh, translates from the French as disembarkment syndrome, mm-hmm. mal de débarquement. Right, yeah, sure. Uh, which is now abbreviated as MDDS, and, and it's an actual syndrome that's relatively rare, affects women in their 40s and 50s, and it's it's like a, a real medical problem that lasts for weeks or months so, or sometimes so years. So when they get off of vehicles, then they feel like the world is moving underneath their feet? Right, right. And it may be that their bodies adjust to the motion of being on a, a vehicle, mm-hmm. on, a, on a boat or a train or whatever. Um, better than other people, but then it stays in this adjusted they're mode. They're still compensating when they don't need to. Yeah, you know? and so they get off of it, and then they feel like they're on a trampoline or something. Strange things. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Kelly from Greensburg, PA. Hey, Kelly, welcome. Hi, welcome to the show. Well, I'm calling um, because I'm a, I'm a professor at um, Seton Hill University, mm-hmm. and Every now and then, um, I have, I'd say, a student a year who presents me with uh, the sentence, I was casted in this show, or, um, and I've even had faculty members say, well, when this is casted, and in my recollection, the only word is cast. You can be cast in a show. You can be cast in a role. Um, Obviously, I, I work in the theater. I teach theater history. And um, I direct here. So at first I thought it was just some strange anomaly. (laughs) Um, But then it seems to be pretty consistent where every year I have one or two students who sort of present this to me like they've been writing this word all their lives. And I don't understand it. (laughs) And do you talk with them about it? I don't. I just, you know, I just kind of mark the word as cast Mm -hmm. on the paper Mm -hmm. and and hope that it doesn't come back. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. I love that you, when you first, after you noticed it a couple of times, just started kind of gathering the info. And instead of condemning it, you're now like curious to know whether or not there's a larger story. That's what you're asking, right? Yes, I am. Like, if I have I misunderstood the use of, is there a word that is casted and are they using it correctly? And I'm just wrong. That's great. Bravo for that. That is the right response when you encounter something that you think is wrong, but you keep seeing it. So then you second guess mm-hmm. yourself. I'm taking a deep breath because usually on this show, I'm the guy who's willing to allow a lot of variants and exceptions and, uh, you know, allow dialects to creep into regular mainstream English and so on and so forth. And this is one of those cases where there are a large number of people who say casted as the past and the past participle of the verb to cast. There are a lot of them. However, um, by far and away, um, there is, as far as I know, no standard dictionary or usage guide in North America that allows casted as the past and past participle. And when you look across the whole spectrum of people who say are right casted, you tend to find that they're people who are on their way to a career or haven't quite made it yet. And I'm trying to be polite about this, but people who are not at the pinnacle of whatever field they're in, let's shall we say, but the people Mm -hmm. who have the educations and the experience and the leadership 
Um, those are the people who tend to write cast, and that is a really great model to follow. So I'm what I'm saying is, in, in short words, is cast is by far and away the best choice here. Cast that has existed as an option for hundreds of years, but it's not the good choice because you're going to run up against resistance if you use it. Yeah, you're going to run up against people like me who think it just sounds weird. It's yeah. the same thing I, as, yeah. you know, we broadcast the answer yesterday. Yeah, yeah. But the, and the, <laughs> it's kind of compounded by the weirdness of English where you, you do have some words that are similar, like forecasted. Forecasted is a permitted um, word for the past and past participle of to forecast. Um, we have podcast, for example. Podcast, the past and the past participle, is are podcasted and not podcast as past participle. So, um, so we have some examples of similar words that sow even more confusion in this. But you should say, I cast him in the role and he was excellent, not I casted him in the role and he was excellent. Okay, that's a big. And now that you point out the distinction between professional and academic, I yeah. I will say that I never ever encountered casted when I worked in the professional theater. I never saw anyone anybody use that in writing. Yeah. And so when I came across it in a school setting, all right, I thought, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening? Have I missed something? Well, you're <laughs> kind of in the one of the, you're in one of the this, shall we call this the recovery rooms of of people who've learned something incorrectly. Like they are still on the way to the ultimate perfect knowledge that they will surely achieve by the time they die, right? They're learning from you, and you're one of the people who's teaching them. So you have a great opportunity to intercept these people so they can go on to become the people who use cast and not cast it. I will do so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so keep marking those papers. Yeah, I would keep marking it. Ca again, cast it as informally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would never accost somebody if they just sent an informal email to me that said casted. But if I were editing a text that was going to be published or presented to the world, I would definitely use cast as the past and the past participle of to cast. Okay. Great. Sure. Thank you so very much. Our pleasure. Thanks, Thanks Kelly. for calling, Kelly. Really bye -bye. appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Robin Connor. Where are you calling us from, Robin? I'm calling from Bonifay, Florida. I have a question about a, a phrase that I used to hear my mother say. Um, basically, it was when she was doing something that was pretty obvious about, you know, what she was doing. And if someone says, well, what are you doing? And she would say something like, well, I'm stacking grease BBs with boxing gloves on. <laughs> stacking greased BBs with boxing gloves on. Did I get that exactly. right? Exactly. So BBs that is in the, the metal pellets or balls that you put in an air gun. Right. Okay. That's right. And they're greased and you're doing it with boxing gloves on. <laughs> Which means on. it's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've heard uh, shorter mm. variants of this where someone will just say, well, that's as easy to do as stacking greased BBs. Without oh, the full okay. part with the boxing gloves on it. And you know, a couple of the early uses that I find in the 1940s, 1950s show up in the Ladies' Home Journal. I don't know why. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know why they're there. It's probably older than that, though. Oh, okay. It reminds me of, um, there's a whole variety of expressions, so smart remarks that you give people. Oh, yeah, particularly parents. Yeah, parents who are will give interrupted. children. Yeah. yeah, yeah, when children are saying, right. what are you doing? Yeah. We've yeah. talked about a few of them on the show, mm -hmm. layovers for meddlers, and mm -hmm. uh, what's the cat's fur to make kitten britches. Mm -hmm. um, there's yeah. a few others. Yeah. Sew buttons on ice cream. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Making a right. whim-wham for a goose's whimmy-diddle, something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. 
So this <laughs> now is that's one I haven't heard. So this is a long tradition of parents basically saying, you know, buzz off in a funny way. They'll spin the give the child something to think about for a while. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. Was she um, laughing when she said it? Oh, of course. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like, I, is it not obvious what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, I've seen it as stacking uh, greasy or stacking greased BBs. And sometimes with, BBs. Yeah, sometimes with the boxing gloves, sometimes no mention of the boxing gloves. I love it. You could just right. continue elaborating, you know, I'm yeah. stacking greased BBs with boxing gloves on a trampoline. While blindfolded, in, in the dark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While hurting armadillos. On While le- hurting armadillos. <laughs> on <exactly>. leak day. <laughs> <laughs> Robin, thank you so much for sharing this memory with us. Oh, you're welcome. Appreciate it. Take care now. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I just know when we talk about these goofy expressions on the show uh-huh. that there are families out there who have their own. Yes. And they're holding back. And my request <laughs> is that you call us with these things. Don't hold back. Yeah, what is that thing that you or your parents would say to somebody who asked an impertinent question like, what you doing? <laughs> We want to know, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Benjamin Franklin once wrote a eulogy for a sirene pet. Sirene? Mm-hmm. How do you spell that? That is S-C-I-U-R-I-N-E. Siren. Do not know. It's a squirrel. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it turns out that in the 18th and 19th centuries, um, squirrels were really popular as pets, and in the 1700s as well. And in fact, Ben Franklin was living in England, and he had his wife send a pet squirrel to these little girls (laughs) (laughs) that lived nearby, and this poor squirrel named Mungo died. And so Ben Franklin wrote this whole eulogy for for this um, squirrel. And you want to read it? Um, I'll just start. I lament with you most sincerely the unfortunate end of poor Mungo. Few squirrels were better accomplished, for he had a good education, traveled far, and seen much of the world. Oh. Yeah. But sirene is is a word from Latin that that means squirrel. That's interesting. 877-929-9673. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.